the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. Welcome back, dear friend, great scholar, great professor, great historian, Wilford McClay. Mr. McClay, he is a professor at the University of Oklahoma. He is the author of the book Just Out, Land of Hope, An Invitation to the Great American Story, a history book I want everyone to buy. It is so readable and it is so good. And let's add to his title, maybe the best title anyone could have in the academic profession, (laughs) which is Ronald Reagan, Professor of Public Policy at Pepperdine University. Mr. McClay, welcome back. Well, thank you. My goodness, I can't possibly equal that intro. <laughs> I, I, I do want to mention that it's uh, Pepperdine School of Public Policy, yes, which sorry. is uh, sorry, Pepperdine I, School. I'm yes. located. I'm there for the year, and um, it is a very, very, very unique school of public policy. And any of your listeners who are young people who are thinking about a career in public service or just furthering their education. It's a, it's a graduate school of public policy, you know, master's degrees in public policy only, but it's a unique program. And if you're, you know, uh, if you're the kind of person who listens to this program, <laughs> it's, it's a great place for you. This so, is the school for you. We uh, are big fans of Pete Peterson and everything they're yeah. doing over there. Just really a great uh, outpost, a great outpost of intellectual life. It is. It is. And, and uh, I think it's, it's one of the best things that, that in the law school uh, here at Pepperdine. Before, uh, so, before actually, um, while we're on that topic, because yeah. this we were talking a little bit about this on the show yesterday. Before we get to your book and your work in history um, and all that, let's just say a word or two about modern academia. There's that great phrase Alan Bloom uses in the closing of the American Mind, talking about the importance of arranging the furniture of the student's mind. I've always loved that phrase he used, the furniture of the student's mind. It's really hard to find schools and academics like yourself who are trained in a way that really can do the full expanse of an intellectual journey. I was fortunate to go to college as you were with professors who were so broadly educated and could, you know, ex- could talk on any number of things. You know, we could spend, uh, in Harry Jaffa's class, you could spend an entire semester on one chapter of Aristotle because they had that much in them. It's harder and harder to find academics and historians and professors like mm-hmm. that these days, isn't it? What is yeah. that about? Has education gotten worse or has it gotten too narrow? Uh, let me let me say one more sentence to, to, to tee you off on. Yeah. Because you wrote a great book here, Land of Hope, An Invitation to the Great American Story. It's a great history book. What one finds, I think, what I find more and more when people write on history is they're not doing a country. They're not doing a history of the country. They're doing narrow and narrow things, perhaps a week, <laughs> a week or a day. You know, yeah. what do you think about all that? 
Well, yeah, I, 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 I think all that's true, and it's that graduate training. You know, it, it's it, it, there is an ideological cast to all of academia that is that is more more or less left of center. That that was true when you and I were in college too. There but, were leftists. Um, that's it, true. Yes. There was a, there was an ethos that you presented uh, both sides that you were you were fair. That you um, you know you understood there were, were two at least two sides, if not multifaceted uh, aspects to every every issue, and that's just kind of gone by the boards. It's very very difficult to um, escape the kind of pervasive uh, um, compulsory atmosphere of the academy, even on the collegiate level. But let's say there are still good people out there who are. Um, who are left of center, and there's some um, there's some bad right wingers too. Oh, of course, yes, 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 yes. So, sure. You know, it, it it goes both ways. But um, they, they, but when you get to graduate school, then the calipers really begin to squeeze, and um, people are forced into very narrow subspecialties um, that uh, may or may not be ideologically tainted. More often than not, they are, but. Um, but so that they they come out um, with um, you know a dissertation, a PhD, you know the, the materials for a PhD, maybe a first book, um, but they don't really have a broad view of the subject. They don't have a a sense of um, <clears throat> of what um, what's important about the study of history, and so they can't get up in front of an audience of prospective students or prospective. Parents and prospective students, and say, "This is why I think you're, you're you should study history." Right. <laughs> this right. is what I think you really gain from the study of the past. It, there's a. a it, it's a narrowing, um, isn't it? It's it's kind of a narrowing. It's 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 a, it's it's, it's a not an expansive view. It's a very it, narrow. It, it, so you find academics who know more and more about a little, whereas you know people trained the way you were know a lot about a lot. Well, <laughs> or we or we may know a little about a lot, but that's some way preferable to knowing sure. nothing but a lot about a little. Right. Um, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think there, there's an arid professionalism mm-hmm. and uh, careerism that you know when people get into graduate school, they're, they they once they realize what they're there for, um, which is to is to be prepared for professional life. In academia, they start to think about, oh my goodness, what am I going to have to do to get a job? Right, of course. So they they may go gravitate towards the field of study that is said to be hot, um, meaning there are a lot of jobs in it. When I was in grad school in history, the big thing was social history, uh-huh. and uh, and, I, and I, my interest was intellectual history. That was why I went to grad school. And people kept saying, "Well, you're such a fool to do this. There's no jobs." Okay. And uh, well, you know, I always figured that uh, I would I would much rather get nowhere uh, professionally studying something I loved and cared about than to than to simply alter my 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 interests or at least my focus, my professional focus to to uh, increase my job prospect. And you know, thank God I I was able to do all right. And and uh, and uh, at the same time, a great many of my friends. Who went on to uh, fields that they really did, did not like and lost interest in have had um, um, somewhat less than satisfactory careers, um, and uh, 
several of them, some of the top people I knew at grad school at Johns Hopkins, have simply uh, left. They, uh, I mean, they left the field prematurely. They did not retire. They just resigned. And, and uh, one of them is an independent scholar, and I think um, enjoying that a whole lot more. Uh, but but um, uh, actually, one of them was Arthur Herman, who you may have heard I, of. Uh, oh, yes, I've interviewed who, Arthur before, sure. He went on to retool himself as a completely different kind of historian, uh-huh. very conservative and very successful. Sure. Um, but... Um, it was not what we were trained to do at Johns Hopkins, um, uh, by and large. I had a different, my advisor was a, was a kind of maverick, uh, of a good sort. Uh, uh, and he, uh, he went, he took me down a different path. But, but yeah, I, I, I was also very careful. I was a little older. And that's something else I would recommend to people who want to go for a PhD. Is, you know, wait a little while. Don't just run right to, to, to graduate school. Uh, wait a little while. Let your interests uh, settle out uh, and and gain some maturity just by working, so that you know how to identify, you know, your your prospective advisor, who will be the most important person in your graduate career as a stand-up person, you know, uh, uh, whatever their ideology is. That's a, that's one of the most important things. So, but one of the anybody important who's things. interested in advice about this, write me. I'm I'm. I'm full of advice. No, no, it's good. It's good, Bill. Uh, Bill, I call you Bill colloquially. I'm sorry. Well, we're talking to Professor Wilford McClay. He is the author of the brand new book, Land of Hope, an invitation to the great American story. Rare is the professor. You're one of them. But rare is the professor who is seriously involved in the academic stuff and with the peer reviews and all that sort of thing, certainly the classroom. But rare is the one who enters into the larger um, world, if you will, one who is what might be considered a public intellectual, where you can teach more than people just in your classroom. You do this very well. You have been printed in a lot of popular press in Primus from Hillsdale, just pu- released a big um, lecture you gave. It's um, it's it's unfortunately uh, too rare a thing to find these days. Is it because of what we said that so many academics are so narrow that there's not a big, broad appeal or is it, and I hate to even say it, but maybe there's something about this, is it that a lot in the intellectual and academic world just kind of, how should I say this, disdain the the popular, the uh, disdain oh, the public? Oh, I think it's true. I think all of those things okay. are true. And I think people are very nervous about uh, in, in academics, about writing for the general public, because they, they're so concerned about what their colleagues are going to think. Um, gosh, they think of it, and and if something you do has a prospect of making any money, oh, that then that's really becomes a cause for concern, uh-huh. uh, which is all, all all just dressed up envy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the the uh, you know I, I worked for a long time on a project about David Reisman, who wrote the famous book The Lonely Crowd, which mm-hmm. sold millions of copies, sure. and. Uh, and recently had a very, um, he, with Tommy published it, he had a position at the University of Chicago. And, um, but, but it was tenuous because he didn't have a PhD. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, and I asked him once in an interview, well, did, when he published along the crowd, did that kind of cement your situation at Chicago? And he said, oh, yeah, I had to get out of there at that point. I mean, it, it was one thing to be uh, just a, a sort of popular and engaged teaching professor, but to have a, 
mammoth success that ends up putting you on the cover of Time magazine, yes, yes. which was a big deal sure. that in the 1950s, then that was it. That was his death sentence. That was he the death sentence. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's always been this way to some extent, that that, that um, there, there's a kind of captious quality about academics that uh, and, and small-mindedness, which um, is unfortunate. You know, the saying about academic battles are so uh, huge because the stakes are so small. Right. Uh, Henry, right. Henry Kissinger and others have said uh, there, there's, there's truth to that. On the other hand, the wonderful thing about academia is, is if you make use of it, it gives you an enormous amount of freedom and um, kind of non-attachment to contemporary affairs. So you can, you can really um, contemplate things that wouldn't be possible. Well, we need, but we need, we need you. Um, in the public press. It's so important, you know? though. Because we we need professors like you who are willing to go into the world outside of the classroom, because yeah. we are inundated well, with things like you wrote about in the Wall Street Journal. You had this wonderful piece, uh, the weaponization of history, because you will have places like the New York Times trying to tell the rest of Americans what American history is, but it needs a response, and it needs a response yeah. from someone like yourself. Well, and you know, I have, and I, I will. Tip you off. I've written a piece that will be in the October issue of Commentary okay. about this very subject, the 1619 Project, uh-huh. as the time is called it. And it's it's really a misbegotten thing from top to bottom. And I mean, the worst part of it is that the um, the scholarship that they're um, basing their claims that basically in America, for your listeners who don't know about it, that, that America, the real founding of America was 1619 right. when the first African slaves were deposited in Jamestown, Virginia. And it's, there's all kinds of things wrong with that, uh, that argument, including the fact that, uh, it tells you nothing about the Declaration of Independence, right. the Constitution, the Revolutionary War, and so on, all those other things part of the creation of the nation. But um, the scholarship on slavery and, uh, and, and on even, even whether those, those 20 individuals dropped off in Jamestown were slaves, they probably weren't. They were probably indentured servants. Interesting. Uh, that's a pedantic point, but still. Um, the real problem is that the, the, the scholarship they're relying on doesn't even um, pa- clear the bar with the professional historians. There is, uh, I mean, slavery is, is and always has been an enormously um, uh, morally tense issue for and morally charged issue for historians to address. And uh, the Times, first of all, acts like nobody's ever written about slavery. I mean, it's, right. it's one of the richest veins in all American historiography. Right. And uh, that uh, the, 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 the arguments have not been, you know, enormously deeply researched. So um, it's, it's, it's not as if they're bringing the most advanced knowledge to the rubes of the country who are stuck in patriotic myths. Um, that's, they're, 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 they're propounding a myth themselves, and well, uh, it's not one that, it, that, it, that finds much support in respectable scholarship. That's the pity of it. Is um, it's an ideologically driven uh, project? Let me um, let me let me get so, you in a little bit of trouble on this, perhaps. Because, okay, <laughs> why not? Right? Because I've yeah. been using a syllogism. You tell me if I'm right or wrong, or if I'm maybe onto something or not. Uh, 
But I, I've, I've, in, my, in my view, the progressive effort here, which is to radically, I think, radically transform this country, can only be done uh, according, I think, to the progressives, wittingly or unwittingly, by first denigrating the founding of the country. In other words, um, they can change it more easily or revolutionize more easily, uh, transform more easily once the thing they are trying to change was founded um, uh, as an evil thing, as a bad thing, as a negative. That that seems to be what I kind of sense is going on here. First denigrate the founding, first make America unlovable ab initio, then all the all the more easy mm-hmm. to change it. I wonder if you see any of that going on. Oh, I, 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 I gladly embrace okay. whatever trouble comes of agreeing with you. Okay. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I say this in the commentary article that I think it has... It, you know, there's an obvious sort of motive of, uh, of discrediting uh, the founding or just setting it aside. Yeah. Even it doesn't. It, it's simply it's not. It's, it's 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 sort of irrelevant to the real history of the nation. Kind of what you write about in that uh, Wall Street Journal piece, the weaponization of history, isn't it? You all, underlying all this is the notion you can't really teach well what you don't love, and I think that's been going on with American history for a long time. Yeah, uh, that 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 definitely is part of what I was getting at with that article. There, there's another element, though, which is um, that, that the past is worthy of our our study um, without a regard to what. How can I use the past to defeat somebody in a contemporary, present day argument mm-hmm. that, that, that 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 this sort of law office history as it used to be called, where where everything is is sized up for its utility in a legal brief or, or assassination plot. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a tremendous cheapening of the past. The past becomes a servant of the present and nothing more. And the past, I think, can be a, a, a source of wisdom for the present. It can be a check on the excesses of the present. It can be a way of, of helping us to detach from exclusive reliance on the present. In, in other words, we, 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 our consciousness can be, we can be in a prison house of present-mindedness. And I think so many people are uh, today, they're, they're in a kind of prison house of the day-to-day succession of events as it's presented to them by the media um, and by their, their various other electronic simulations of reality. And uh, there's a way in which Coming to the past, it gives you a, that, that, that Archimedean point to stand outside the present and see it in a larger context and see how, well, yeah, you know, uh, people have said this sort of thing before mm-hmm. and, and it, it didn't come to pass. Or um, this argument has been made before, this has been tried before. Uh, but even, you know, those are, even those examples are meant to show usefulness. Uh, and I, I would argue the history is useful precisely because it isn't always immediately useful. It, it, it's important, and I, the people who um, read Land of Hope, uh, which I hope will be many coming out of this broadcast, sure. uh, I would call your attention to the the, uh, the epigraph at the beginning of the book because it, it's it's by John Dos Passos, mm-hmm. you know, the great writer, and Dos Passos talks about how having 
a sense of connection to the past. I'm actually looking it up right now. So having a sense of continuity with generations gone before and stretch like a lifeline across the scary present Mm. and get us past that idiot delusion of the exceptional now, capital N, now, Mm -hmm. that blocks good thinking. And then he goes on to say that political thought has to be looked backwards as well as forwards. That's what he's talking about. It's the, the, the sort of deep perspective that comes, and this is Harry Jaffa, mm-hmm. uh, that comes of not only having read yesterday's newspaper or the latest uh, political theorist uh, coming out of Yale, uh, but Aristotle. Right. And a deep, deep, deep dive into Aristotle, uh, uh, mastering the Greek, you know, learning uh, all the all of the nuances. Um and then reading Lincoln and reading Lincoln's speeches in light of Aristotle and reading Aristotle in light of Lincoln. Right. And, and that great conversation, you know, you, that doesn't happen overnight. No. It, but it, it involves a certain kind of respect for the past. The past um, should not be condescended to. That uh, We shouldn't be prisoners of the past either. You know, we're not abject traditionalists no, in, no. in this country. Uh, but... but um, we we tend, I think, to give too little weight to the past, and so that's another aspect of the weaponization of history that that bothers me is that it simply treats the past as a grab bag to be used for what you've already decided is the truth, and uh, whatever comes to hand out of that grab bag that's, that's useful, you you deploy it like nobody's business, and if it's not immediately useful, you don't. Look at it for a moment and say, hmm, what's going on here? What's different about this? You well, just toss it aside. Well, this it's is not useful to achieving your immediate goals. Well, this is why you are the professor this country needs right now, Mr. McClay. History ah. rescues precious memories from the darkness into which they would otherwise disappear, forging a sense of continuity. If we care about history, we now must rescue it from its crudest instrumentalizers. Mr. McClay, author of Land of Hope, an invitation to the great American story. Thank you for doing it. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. And anytime you want me to come on, we we can talk about anything. I want to do music with you next time. Let's talk about jazz. You got it. A great contribution to the American story. God bless you, sir. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.